with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. This month we're feeling particularly villainous as we discuss the joyously devious coupling of Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy from the DC Comics universe. And we're applying Lindsay King Miller's Ask a Queer Chick, A Guide to Sex, Love, and Life for Girls Who Dig Girls to their relationship woes. Hey, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, Brad. Is, can I can I start begging for money? No. Yes. No. We I, love our listeners. I know, but I want some money. I need some money. I need some money. We're doing fine, you guys. Do not listen <laughs> to him. He's just but, been <laughs> scrabbling around the Ebays too much. Look, look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, today uh, ends another round of Mignola Ebay sketches, you know, uh, to aid uh, the pandemic. Mike Mignola, one of my all-time favorite comic artists, one of Lisa's favorite uh, comic book artists. He's been doing these really incredible sketches. They, I loved his Kermit. Yeah, like he's doing characters you've never seen him draw before, like Kermit, like the Count from Sesame Street. So good. Like um, uh, the Flintstones and Max from Where the Wild Things Are. All in his very craggy, distinctive. He's doing like this with the shading, like this cross hatching. It's, it's gorgeous. I love his style. They're gorgeous. And he is auctioning them off on his eBay uh, account so that all proceeds go to the World Central Kitchen, which is a nonprofit founded by Chef Jose Andreas, whose like uh, hashtag Chefs for America program is working to feed healthcare workers and the families of those who have been laid off during the pandemic. I love that. Right. And so it's a, it's a great cause. And what you're seeing are these sketches going for hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars. And I want one. They are way out of our price range. Yeah, but I want one. Who wouldn't? But those are reserved for nerds with way deeper pockets than the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. (laughs) I I think while I love seeing what Mignola is doing and what Jim Lee is doing with his sketches and the the hashtag creators for comics, if you're not aware of it, it's a fantastic little organization that was put on by, you know, Cami Garcia, Brian Michael Bendis, Gwenda Bond, Sam Humphreys, and Phil Jimenez. And they have rallied the troops. They have rallied all these artists to put forth their own work And their followers will bid on it in their feeds and all the proceeds of those bids go to the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, uh, which is distributing all the cash to your local comic book stores, right? So obviously we adore what they are doing uh, while it's also stoking the fires of my jealousy. (laughs) I feel like we're doing a great job of putting our money where our hearts are. Buying comics from Big Planet Comics, Four Color Fantasies, Third Eye Comics in Annapolis, and we've been buying prints. Like, for us to take part in all of those other auctions and things, that's no longer charity. That's just, Brad, it's just shopping. It's just jealousy. (laughs) One day, one day I'll have a Mignola sketch, maybe. Uh, We came close because today... He had the Ymir sketch, which yeah, comes Harry from Housen. Harryhausen's um, 20 Million Miles to Earth, which is, of course, one of my all-time favorite movies. And, you know, it wasn't that expensive. It was at, like, 375 Right. But then, like, an hour ago, they boosted it to 600 and who knows what it's going to end up going for at the end of this auction tonight. Yeah, but uh, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be something where we can no longer afford yeah, yeah, rent. Yeah. But there was like a dream where I was like, man, $375, we can scratch that together. We can make that happen. 
I have like very specific protocols when it comes to what I want when I'm spending money on a sketch that I think Mignola is doing an amazing job on. Like when I see like a sketch of Hellboy, like for going for thousands and thousands of dollars, I'd be like, I don't not need a Mignola sketch of Hellboy unless it's a comic book page. Obviously, that would be amazing. Uh But like if I get a Mignola sketch, it's going to be of a Muppet. It's yeah. going to be of a Harryhausen monster. I love that he is, like, drawing things that he wouldn't usually draw. I mean, the other day, he started, like, putting out all these Ditko Spider-Man villains. So the Scorpion, cool. the Rhino, Electro. Like, characters you just did not think you would ever see Mignola draw again. Mm-hmm. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. Fin Fang Foom. Like, it, amazing, amazing things to see Mignola tackling once again. Another one of the protocols when it comes to sketches is if I have a choice, I want to be there when the sketch is being drawn like so i like the idea of blowing a bunch of money on a sketch (laughs) at comic-con yeah like maybe since san diego comic-con has been canceled pour one out pour one out moment of silence i I don't oh no we don't have any of those on cbcc no no, no. not when i'm around there's no moment of silence (laughs) is lisa I don't like to think of it as a cancellation as much as a postponement. We'll be back in 2021. They're allowing our tickets to roll over to next year if we so choose. And we choose. And And we choose. Next year's Comic-Con is going to be a blowout party. Absolutely. It's going to be such a good time. But my point was, now this opens up our funds for maybe going to New York in the fall, depending on how the fall looks. Yeah. I mean, New York is not the best place right now yeah but i'm a man of hope i'm a man of hope like like it'd be nice to go to new york comic-con in the fall as long as everyone stays indoors and flattens the curve use science (laughs) listen to the right people not the wrong people as long as we do that uh, normalcy can return in the not-too-distant future. Fauci is our homeboy. But what's important is that we are helping where we can, when we can, with what little we can. You know, helping out those comic book shops is a great thing. Helping out the artists that we love is a great thing. Helping out the Thai restaurant across the street is a great thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, we will be back in our stores in the future. It, the, but we, the, not like the near future. Yeah, not, not like, like tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> <sighs> What if we got a Mignola sketch of Dr. Fauci? Oh, I mean, I would I would definitely want to see that. It's, I don't know if it's as good as a Ymir, Lisa. But these are the tiny actions of hope that we can do. And I love seeing that DC Comics has found some distributors outside of Diamond to put the books out into the world. Yes, amen, hallelujah. That is, like, game-changing. The first time in 20 years that two companies besides Diamond have put out books. Crazy. Love it, love it, love it. Good things on the horizon. Like I'm saying, I'm keeping it positive, Lisa. We can't afford the Mignola sketches, but we're still buying lots of comics, and it looks like we're going to be buying lots of comics in our future. Yeah. Shall we get into the heart of the matter, Lisa? Let's do this. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. So we're jumping back in time 20 years to the first ever Harley Quinn solo title launched in December of 2000 by inker turned writer Carl Kessel and artist Terry Dodson. Uh, Why does this title stand out? Well, the Maiden of Mischief and the Joker are 
finally quits. And this is the first book that really goes a long way in establishing an identity apart from Mr. J for Harley Quinn. She breaks ties with her old life and forms her own gang of crooks called the Quintets. Adorable. I read all the issues leading up to this Welcome to Metropolis arc, and that's some of my favorite stuff is her Quintet gang and the anxieties that run throughout the Quintets. Um, Lewis, though, Lisa, you didn't get to meet Lewis because Lewis died in a horrible way. Oh, no. And I was shocked at how the last arc ended with Lewis's death. And I think that's a whole conversation I'd love to have uh, in a bonus episode sometime because Absolutely. it there, was brutal. There are some extraordinarily dark moments in yeah. this comic. Yeah, and, and right. And in Welcome to Metropolis, there's like an incredibly dark moment I was not expecting. Uh, so it's it, this is a fascinating era uh, of, of the character and the concept. It's like bubblegum, but it's got tax in it. Yeah. Well, like Kessel and Dodson clearly embrace a screwball comedy tone, which fits well with the Harley character. But again, when when they decide to, they love to just punch you right in the gut. And I think it is effective, but sometimes maybe the stories don't reconcile with these gut punches in a way that I find satisfying. We're definitely going to get into this on our discussion because yeah. I have thoughts and feels. Yeah, for sure. So where did Carl Kessel come from? Uh, Victor, New York, actually. Uh, born on January 7th of 1959. Uh, after a little encouragement from a friend in college, Kessel submitted some inking samples to both Marvel and DC Comics. DC bit first, putting him on Tales of the Legion of Superheroes. And from there, he went to work. In 1988, he and his then-wife, Barbara Kessel, they've since divorced, uh, co-wrote the Hawk and Dove series illustrated by Image co-founder Rob Liefeld, who has also been doing a crazy amount of very strange sketches for the creators for comics. Thing. Yes, he has. Uh, Tiger King. Whoa. Uh, during the speculator boom, you know, back in the 90s, I snatched up all of these Hawk and Dove suckers. You know, despite never particularly liking the characters, I was just obsessed with Liefeld. The 90s were a weird time, and these books, you know, they felt you felt like these books were going to put you through college. Yeah. You were you were building up a gold mine. Turns out not so much. Not Oops. so much. Uh, I did go to college, but on my dad's dime, uh, <laughs> not, not Rob Liefeld's. Uh, Kessel is probably most noted for co-creating along with artist Tom Grummet, the modern era Superboy Con L inside the pages of the Adventures of Superman as part of the Doomsday Fallout event Reign of the Superman. Lisa. Yes. At some point, I want to get you to read all those Reign of the Superman comics. They were the first Superman comics I ever read, and they are wild. I'm into I'm into wild. I think I think, and I think you would like Superboy. I think you'd like Superboy, but Steel's my guy. <laughs> uh, you can't really talk about Terry Dodson, the Harley Quinn artist, yeah. without talking about his wife and inking partner Rachel Dodson. Comic book couple, yeah. love it. Yeah, I'd love to get them on the cast. Terry has been noted as saying that Rachel inking his work is like having himself ink his own work. Yeah. Nothing gets lost in the translation when they're working together. That's lovely. I like that a lot. Terry Dodson got his start working on rock and roll comics where he would illustrate the life stories of cats like Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart as a cat? No, like oh. as in like a hip cat, Lisa. I'm oh. using lingo here, baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not cutting that out. Uh, from there, Dodson found his way into Malibu Comics and co-created the character of Mantra alongside Mike W. Barr. I've been a big Dodson fan for quite a while, and while his work doesn't quite necessarily look like Bruce Timm's work, I feel like they share 
that cheesecake style, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they come from the same school of cheeky. Uh, and Dodson's tone works well, like, like I said, with that screwball attitude that Kessel is bringing to Harley Quinn's solo book. Now, this title lasted a good chunk of time, but was by no means a runaway hit as the popularity of the title character was still growing. Uh, this iteration of Harley Quinn only lasted 38 issues, climaxing in 2003. From my perspective, the popularity of Harley Quinn was something that happened like overnight from when we were going to conventions and then all of a sudden every other cosplay you saw was Harley Quinn. Yeah, I feel like it was early on in our marriage, right, where Harley Quinn really exploded as, like, mainstream catnip. And and why was that, do you think? Well, I mean, in 2009, Arkham Asylum, the video game, occurred, and I I think it's around that moment, and, and so many people were obsessed with the Arkham Asylum game from Rocksteady. I feel like that's when it just started to bubble up. The New 52 comes around, Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor take over the book. And I just feel like that's the moment. But that Arkham Asylum moment where people go like, oh, Harley Quinn is not just the Joker's girlfriend. Yeah. And like she has such a weird origin as a character. I mean, not like her origin as she was once a psychiatrist, but like she was on a TV show first. Right. And then she kind of started popping up in the comics and then... Arkham Asylum was her next big bubble up. It's just very interesting. I also think Jim Lee drawing Harley Quinn in the pages of Batman Hush was a big deal. Like Jim Lee putting his pen to that design kind of gave her a legitimacy that she did not have in the eyes of uh, the Wednesday Warriors. So, but, but again, like the Wednesday Warriors, that's not the critical mass. The critical mass is the people outside. Is the Batman the Animated Series fan? Are the Arkham Asylum fans? Are the Birds of Prey fans? The Suicide Squad film fans? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it has been fun to watch Harley Quinn just like erupt through the amount of cosplays we've seen develop since we started dating, really, because one of our first dates was Baltimore Comic Con. Yeah, that's true. With all of the Harley Quinn cosplay and all of the Deadpool cosplay, I'm <laughs> shocked that there is any red spandex left on this planet. Well, there was that one year, again, we went to Baltimore Comic Con. Yeah. It was around 2009, 2010. We probably stopped at Mike Mignola's booth. We definitely did. And we started counting all the Harley Quinn and all the Deadpool cosplay because it felt like the majority was either one of those red designs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, A lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, But before we get into the proper discussion of Welcome to Metropolis, we need to check in with our love experts this week, or should I say we need to meet our new love expert. We've we've jettisoned Ben Schwartz and Lauren Moses. I'll admit it. (laughs) I fumbled with our initial Harley and Ivy episode, picking our love guru. We just love Ben Schwartz so much. We do, but... I feel like if that if that was a fumble, Lindsay King Miller is a home yeah. run. Our new relationship guru will be sex advice columnist and author Lindsay King Miller using her book Ask a Queer Chick, a guide to sex, love and life for girls who dig girls. She has been writing an advice column of the same name for the hairpin since 2011 and has contributed to cosmopolitan.com, bitch magazine, BuzzFeed, The Toast, and a myriad of other publications. When I picked King Miller as our expert, 
I didn't even know that Harley would be spending her time in Metropolis posing as a sex advice columnist, <laughs> Holly Chance of Chance at Love. Such synchronicity. I should pretend like I did it on purpose, <laughs> but our listeners know that we are doing this show by the seat of our very comfy pants. That's true. In the introduction, King Miller clearly states the purpose of this book and how it will assist queer chicks who read it. This is a quote. It will talk you through some of the major roadblocks you might face on your journey through the joy and heartache of queerness and offer time-tested tips on confidence, communication, self-advocacy, and generally being the best possible version of yourself so that when you find the person who makes your heart and genitals sing, you can <laughs> sweep her off her feet. Along with, uh, that's the end of the quote. <laughs> Along with firsthand experience from being a queer chick, she has been fielding questions from queer chicks for four years before penning this book. And she knows the questions on a queer chick's mind and has the answers. The chapter titles infer that this book covers a gamut of topics, coming out, subculture, dating advice, sex advice, dealing with discrimination, and more. There's even a chapter for straight people. Hey, that's, that's us. us. <laughs> I cannot wait to dive in. We're going to start with the introduction, which is entitled, Introduction, How Do You Know You're a Queer Chick? King Miller says that the most common question she gets for her column is some version of, I'm pretty sure I'm not straight or cisgendered, but I don't know yet the words to articulate who I am. Does this mean that there's something wrong with me? Shouldn't I know who I am down to the LGBTQIA letter? Who am I? King Miller begins her answer with this quote. First, some bad news. I don't know. I don't have psychic powers, nor does this book include a handy Myers-Briggs type test to determine the truth of your orientation, gender, or identity. Too bad. Brad, you know I love some quizzes. I know, and you love the Myers-Briggs. I do. Listeners can go back to our Spider-Man and Mary Janes yeah. for the Dr. Alexander Avila. Quote continues, who you are and what you call yourself is something that only you get to or can decide. She goes on to say that the good news is you don't have to know yet. There is no right or wrong answer, and you're allowed to change your mind. People may try to convince you that there is only one true identity, and it's your Lord of the Rings-style quest to find it. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings ref was hers. Yeah, not yours. Not mine. You're not a Lord of the Rings fan, Lisa. I have no patience I've for Tolkien. I've been trying to get you to watch these during our self-isolation days, and you're like, no, let's Snooze. do the Godfather trilogy instead. And I was like, fine, I love the Godfather trilogy. But well, I hadn't seen the Godfather trilogy. That's true. Now I have, I'm a different lady. I still want to watch the Lord of the Rings movies, Lisa. You can do that on your own. Exchanging one word for another doesn't have to mean that you were incorrect. It could be that you're changing, growing, or learning more about yourself, and that's awesome. Picking your identity and then clinging to it can actually be counterproductive to personal growth. Think about Swamp Thing. <laughs> to come to his fullness as a true elemental of the yes. green, he had to let go of his identity as Alec Collins. Yes. And he discovered he was never Alec Holland in the first place. So good. He's a plant. That's right. King Miller ends this section with this quote, which I personally want to live by. Listen to your heart, even when it isn't making much sense. That is how you learn to speak its language. Oh, I like that too. Yeah, it's so good. Ooh, tattoo that on my arm. 
King Miller even includes a section for transgendered people who may fall under or adjacent to the queer chick umbrella. As a cisgendered woman, King Miller acknowledges that being trans comes with its own challenges that she may not be equipped to address. She includes in this book interviews with queer trans women where she seeks out those answers for those very unique flowers in the queer chick garden. I love this. How many of our renowned relationship experts, Gary Chapman, John Gray, admit openly to having cultural blind spots and find their own experts to help address that blind spot in their own book? Like, Barely any of yeah, them. I'm, I don't miss those guys. <laughs> Half of them don't even acknowledge that queer people exist. Yeah. In the spirit of acknowledging blind spots, neither Brad nor I are queer chicks. We are both, as we identify today in this very moment, both straight and cisgendered. King Miller says that there are two kinds of people who choose to read Ask a Queer Chick. Quote, if you've picked up this book and you don't identify as a member of the LGBTQ community, you're probably either related to me. Hi, Aunt Bobby. Thanks for being so supportive. <laughs> don't read chapter four. That's the chapter about sex. Or your feelings have been kicking up some questions in your life. That's the end of the quote. For the time being, Brad and I are not members of the LGBTQ community. But we are open to discovering things about ourselves and taking on new identities. So I guess that makes us two Aunt Bobbies. We want to be supportive, but we will read chapter four because, hey. Sex. We're just just curious. I like sex. We're curious people. So as we approach this run of Welcome to Metropolis, we're going to do it from the cultural perspective that Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are two queer chicks. Even though, just as our expert, Lindsay King Miller, says, it's not fair of us to put that on them because it's not our job to be out there identifying queer chicks. And labeling them. And, and the publisher, the, the, at this point in time, the, they are not acknowledged as a couple. They're it would Katie. not happen until the New 52. When the New 52 happens, DC puts out that tweet we talked about last week about them being a couple without the burden of monogamy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but at this point in time, they're not they're not identified as queer. Though there are some pretty clear allusions to this book of them being a romantic couple. For sure, for sure. So to me, I think in this first discussion with using Lindsay King Miller, I think we can evaluate, like we can play the role of advice columnist. And evaluate how we would advise this romantic couple. We certainly can't do any worse than Harley does as Holly Chance. I don't know. I think some of her advice is pretty good. And I flag some of it because I want to discuss it letter by letter. Okay, okay. I'm just saying some of it may have dire consequences. I can't believe this. You're team Perry White. Oh, hey, hey, hey. I'm never team Perry White. I don't hate Perry White. I'm like Team Jimmy Olsen. Me and Jimmy Olsen, we hang out. That is the truest thing you've ever said on this podcast. (laughs) 
Let's get into it. All right, let's do it. The Welcome to Metropolis story arc includes issues 13 through 19 of the Harley Quinn series. On the last episode, we said we were covering issues 14 through 19. Right, yeah. But we had a tweet from a listener. Yeah, at Harlivy tweets, she said, please don't skip issue 13 of Kessel and Dodson's Harley ongoing. That's pivotal for a better understanding of the Harley-Ivy relationship. With this particular couple... We are deferring to your expertise because it's not Brad's wheelhouse and it's certainly not my wheelhouse. Yeah, and so we appreciate these responses and we obeyed. Uh, So thank you so much at Harl Ivy Tweets. Here's the deal with Welcome to Metropolis. It's written by Carl Kessel and primarily illustrated by Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson, although we do get some fill-in art by Pete Woods, Phil Noto, Craig Russo, and guest inks by Mark Lipka, Dan Davis, and Kessel himself. It takes a team. Teamwork to make the dream work. It takes a team to make... Yeah, (laughs) that's right, the dream work. Uh, The color is provided by Alex Sinclair and Peter... I can't say Pantazies. Pantazies, yes. And it's lettered by Ken Lopez and Kurt Hathaway. Here's the basic plot description as provided by Goodreads. Thank you, Goodreads. Thank you, Goodreads. Having played out every trick on the fine citizens of Gotham City, Harley Quinn, the Joker's former girlfriend, decides that another city deserves her attention. After all, why menace one city when you can menace two? Especially if the second has a Man of Steel guarding it. Harley hightails it to Metropolis with allies Poison Ivy and Bizarro in tow. Lisa's favorite character, Bizarro. Oh, God. (laughs) I have no patience for Bizarro. No patience for Bizarro. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into it. But we got to start with the issue that at Harla Ivy tweets suggested we look at. Lucky number 13. Lisa, you actually read this issue last as a result of the Twitter exchange. Yes, I mementoed it. That's right, that's right. Are (laughs) are you glad that you went back and filled in this little gap uh, for the rest of the story? Did it aid in what follows in the Welcome to Metropolis arc? I think that it lays out some of their issues as a functioning couple a little bit more straightforwardly harley wants to hit the road but she does not want to go with ivy and ivy harley will always be a second love for to for her ivy. plants yeah yeah because yeah the plants come number one for ivy really so she so she doesn't really want to go and after they have this uh run-in with Moonrock and lady luna ivy kind of goes on a whim And I think that it makes sense why she is like wanting to stay in the penthouse and asking Harley to be okay with that because she's like, once they get to Metropolis, right? Because she made this tremendous sacrifice. She had this aquifer of all of these plants that she had grown herself and she left her babies and now she's starting all over. So when Harley goes like, hey, let's go out. Let's have fun. Poison Ivy is like, I don't think you have a right to ask anything else of me and my priority are these seedlings now at this point. Yeah, yeah, because she's trying to make a home in Metropolis, which she firmly established back in Gotham. Uh, I did appreciate the symmetry of this particular issue because it starts with this really cute married couple of uh, Lana and Rick Jensen and it ends with this really happy couple 
of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn who are excited about their adventure. For them, leaving Gotham and going to Metropolis is practically like going to the moon. I also got the impression that Poison Ivy knew that it was important to get Harley out of Gotham because these two uh, beings, the, mm-hmm. the these two creatures that they fight in this issue here, they are sent to kill Harley from the Joker, right? Like the, the, the Joker is acting out his revenge on Harley through these two goons. And it's partly Poison Ivy's fault because she's the one who created the antidote to Joker toxin. And I don't think that the Joker would care that Harley Quinn is still out there, except for the fact that now because she has that antidote. She's a problem. She, yeah, can, she can hinder his his plans. Big plans. Right, yeah, I, I, I mean, I would push back on that a little bit because I do think the Joker would find any excuse to uh, go after Harley uh, in this fashion. Or the writers would come up with an excuse at the very yeah, least, yeah. right? Uh, but but at the end of this, Poison Ivy sees that Harley needs to be far away from the Joker, and Metropolis is about as far from Gotham as she can think. And so, Harley goes like, "I'm always going to come back for you. You're my best friend in the whole world. So I don't care where you are. I'm going to be there." And that melts Ivy's little heart, right? And and, and that is an adorable sequence. And I feel like this um, bond that you see at the end of this issue, like you were saying, carries over into why Harley and Ivy are together in the first place during the course of Welcome to Metropolis. We see the reason for that bond, and we also see the reasons for conflict, which carry out through the entire arc. Yeah, and mirror what we saw last week in the Bruce Timm Batman the Animated Series universe, the dynamic that was happening between Harley and Ivy there. They just don't relate to each other's priorities. Because they have... uh, Such disparate interests. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else that we need to say about issue number 13? It's really cute. It's a fun issue. I had never encountered these goons before. Um, I I like how uh, Harley and Ivy leave them in a much worse off state than uh, when they first arrived and how one is in the monster mode while the other one is in the human mode. Really poetic. Yeah, that's that's fun. That's And the fact that... uh, they still value each other's meat because... You mean like their flesh. Right, because Lana turns into Lady Luna, so Moonrock doesn't want to injure Lana because then he loses the love of his life and vice versa. If there are more appearances, if there are enough appearances with these two, they would make a heck of a series of comic book couples counseling. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) I should look into that. So in issue 14, Bright Lights Big City, which is actually the start of this arc proper, we see Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy on Harley Quinn's motorcycle, and they seem to be having a glorious time. They're the, having a total ball. The wind in their hair. They're looking looking out for Superman. <laughs> they, um, they, I love how uh, Metropolis is p- presented as this tourist hotspot where everybody's just there to spy Superman. And so they sweep next to, like, this old couple that have, like, a star map. I love this little scene. Yeah, it's only a few panels, but it's perfect. It's perfect. And it speaks to, you know, how Superman is as much of a symbol as he is a character, right? Right. But he's also kind of a disappointment because there is only one Superman. He can be in only so many places at once. Yeah. So these, these people, Arlene and Elmer, they're like... 
this vacation is not working out. They're frustrated. I imagine it's like going to, you know, Yellowstone and like, oh, you got to go see this, this uh, grizzly bear. You got to get the grizzly bear photos. You got to find the bald eagle photos. Like you go hunting for bald eagles and you may never actually see a bald eagle. Right. Except for like the bald eagle is like Brad Pitt or something. Yeah. 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 In passing, Harley Quinn steals their map and then. For Arlene, that, like, makes the trip for her. She's like, these two vixens, super vixens, swung by, and they stole the map, and I can't wait to tell my sister. Yeah, they don't get to see uh, Matt Damon or Brad Pitt, but they get a they get a glimpse of Steven Dorff, and that's cool enough. But, like, Metropolis is, like, the shinier, happier Gotham. Like, their hero is Superman, like, this all-American guy where, like, in Gotham, it's Batman, who is this dark and brooding character. But that doesn't mean that Metropolis doesn't have its, like, smelly armpits because as Poison Ivy is looking at the map, she lists off some of these places. And it's Star Labs, LexCorp Towers, and somewhere called the Suicide Slum. Yeah, Suicide Slum, that's uh, an old Jack Kirby, Joe Simon reference. It, uh, I think it, yeah, it was the Newsboy Legion where that was first introduced. It's like uh, the Narrows of Gotham. It's, it's, I wouldn't every, hang out there. Yeah, I wouldn't hang out there. Even Metropolis has a scuzzy, skeezy spot. Ew, don't touch the skeezy, scuzzy spot. <laughs> but Poison Ivy does manage to find a place that is quite to her liking. Yeah, uh, she hops off the motorcycle and Harley doesn't even notice because Harley goes to ask her, like, where do you want to start? Suicide slums? Star Labs? Where? Where? Uh, but Ivy's already gone and in the park. And grinding up against a tree. Uh, yeah, you get this awesome Terry Dodson, Rachel Dodson page where uh, Ivy is all up in that foliage. Foliage, not foliage. Whatever. <laughs> but then her revelry is interrupted because out of the bushes hops Thorn, the uh, vigilante, not quite Metropolis's Batman, but not quite Superman either. She has split personality syndrome. Uh, you know, Rose is the good side. Thorn is the vigilante side. And suddenly- She's like, there can only be one plant harlot in this town and it's already me yeah i'm thorn get out of here ivy get out of my park i can't believe that they're there uh together at the same time but there you go but i guess you get the impression that thorn has been tracking them and thorn does appear earlier on in the series uh when um harley ivy have this big party and catwoman's there and uh big barda shows up and, oh, and, and, and thorn shows up she crashes the party so now they're back to scuffing it up Harley finds her actually really interesting because as a psychiatrist, granted a cracked one, <laughs> she loves she loves a case. Right. And to her, Thorn is just a case. But it does kind of put a wrench in their plans because now like there's like one beautiful green spot and Poison Ivy can't stay there because Thorn has already copped a squat. Yeah, well... Is cop to squat, is that just pooping, or is that... <laughs> I understand what you're saying, uh, but they got to go cop a squat somewhere else, Lisa. <laughs> they have to find their own place, and they can't just, like, rent, right? They can't just own property Metropolis. They are notorious supervillains, so they got to go steal a place to their own. A place with good light. A, a place with good light, and, and they go full Axel Foley on this one apartment complex, uh, and thankfully, or luckily, uh, Luckily, uh, the, the person who was there that when they crashed through the balcony is in the process of hanging themselves. She is hanging herself adjacent because she's still like on the couch drinking wine. I love uh, 
Harley's little quip kicking through the window, a bomb calling. I want to, I want to use that one. <laughs> that is great. But the lady's like, I don't care. Take what you want. And then they hear a weird ro- sound from the bedroom. And yes, it's her co- like hanging herself and she's still choking and sputtering yeah. fully alive. She did not uh, tie that knot too well. And yeah. And all Harley can do is just like critique her technique. Like, yeah, that is a terrible hanging. Well, if this, I've ever this seen goes one. back to what we were saying earlier that Carl Kessel drops in these profoundly dark moments in this series and watching Harley and Ivy stand idly by while this woman slowly chokes to death. Is that funny? And or it's is weird. That just gross. It's strange because Harley sees her suicide note, and the note says that um, without the only man I ever truly loved, I cannot go on. And in reading that, she takes compassion on her, but not enough compassion. To cut her down. Yeah, she still lets her finish the job. And then later on in the series, when we get towards the end of uh, of the arc, uh, we learn that uh, Ivy's been using this body for fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, because Poison Ivy is like, I'll take care of the body. Yeah. And then we trip over it. Jibby Olsen trips over it later. Yeah, it's just, it's a really, really, really dark moment. And I kind of like it. And I kind of hate it, you know? Yeah, but it does come back later in a way that I find equally disturbing. Right. Well, well, let's let's not let's not go full revelation just yet. So they've set up camp. Uh, they've got good light. Ivy gets to work uh, planting a new garden, and Harley gets to work being uh, a girl about town. She's ready to go party. She's ready to go see those bright lights. And she begs her friend to come with her. Like, come on, it's not going to be fun without you. But uh, Ivy's we- not hearing it. She's a homebody, yeah, and she's, she's like, I've got my plants. It's a tender moment. But lucky for her, she meets a friend in the elevator. Yeah, Harley runs into uh, Jimmy Olsen of the Daily Planet, uh, Superman's pal. Who doesn't recognize her because she's just she's dressed in the former residence And she's pretending suit. to be the granddaughter or the niece? What yeah, is the it? niece. The niece, right? Yeah. Uh, and she says, you know, it's like, hi, I'm new to the neighborhood. Uh, you know, my aunt, uh, she's she, she needs a little uh, self-care. And Jimmy recognizes that, yeah, she seemed a little depressed lately. Uh, well, hey, nice. Welcome to the building. And, she, you know, now Harley takes advantage of Jimmy and says like, oh, you work for the planet. Uh, I want to be an advice columnist. That's right. And Harley joins Jimmy to the Daily Planet, but not before getting a special package from Ivy, and it's the special uh, potion that makes men, uh, you know, go gaga for these two lovely villainesses. That's right. So she has no problem getting the job. No, she she convinces Perry White, I am Holly Chance. I'm your new love expert. And the reason she wants that job is apparently she and Jimmy Olsen have some history. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what exactly that history was, and it's really hard to research. And listeners, if you know, please tweet at us at CBCC Podcast, because I'd love to know the actual backstory. They have run into each other in the Superman story, Emperor Joker, which came out like a few months before this series was released. And before that, Harley was hanging out in the No Man's Land event. But I don't think Jimmy Olsen had much to do with that. I really couldn't find many details online. Yeah, hit us up, you guys. I need to know. I need to know because Harley hates Jimmy or Harley loves 
to uh, she needle has a Jimmy. And, she, she has a grudge against him, yeah, and we don't grudge. know why. We don't know why. Uh, but, like, throughout the course of this arc, she is constantly finding ways to, like, get under his skin before she even reveals what's going on to Jimmy. Because Jimmy's a big dope. Yeah. I mean, he's a lovable dope, but he's a big dope. In the meantime, writing a sex advice, love advice column really does interest uh, she loves Harley it. Quinn because it pairs her two loves, psychology and taking vengeance on jilted lovers. Yeah, yeah. And she takes a lot of inspiration from the resident of the penthouse that she watched right. suffocate and die. And, and even she takes her namesake, Miss Chance, and now she's Holly Chance in her... Love column. Is Chance at Love. In the past arc, um, there is a storyline where Harley gets jazzed at bringing two... Uh, private eyes together. There, there were two characters who were kind of like a moonlighting relationship, mm-hmm. and and through some careful nudging, which ended with Harley murdering her uh, her henchman, she brings these two private eyes together, and that like ignites a new fire in Harley Quinn that she takes on over to Metropolis and this love column. And it goes back to a theme that we talked about in the last episode. Yes, Poison Ivy. And Harley Quinn are villains, but they each have a guiding principle. And Poison Ivy's guiding principle is the care and protection of plants. And Harley Quinn's guiding principle is love is something that we do not joke about. Right, right. And I mean, let's let's break that down just a little bit, Lisa. Like, let's think about her relationship with the Joker, right. which is an unrequited love in many ways. And also, again, I hate to be referring back to the storyline that you haven't read, but in the past arc, we learned that she had this boyfriend in college who did kill himself oh, and led her down the path to meeting the Joker at Arkham Asylum. And so, like, Harley has never been... Um, given love, like she, like she's she's wanted it, she's come close, but it's always been stolen from her. And, and it's, an injustice. It's, an, it's injustice. an injustice. it's an injustice to her, even as a villain. It's yes. a, a, an injustice for which she cannot stand. And so here she is, Holly at chance, and you know she she has an opportunity to do more of that, like love connection, more putting more positivity out in the world uh, through her cracked lens. It's interesting to watch this character who for the bulk of this arc is trying to do good. Yeah, quotes. Well, it'll come up. It'll come back. It'll come back. So, okay. You made a comment during one of our walks about how after uh, Harley and Ivy settle down, they do go back into having a few schemes, uh, crimes here and there in Metropolis. They rob that one nursery. That's right. And when, when they are in the process of committing crimes, they're having a great time. Yeah, I mean, in the actual crime, there is a little tiff about they're knocking over a plant nursery to get stuff for the apartment. And but once Poison Ivy has her plants, she's really ready to go home Mm -hmm. where Harley is like, hey, we're having fun. We're having a good time. And Poison Ivy is like, I want to go, but you can drive. And hearing that she can drive, Harley is like, "Okay, we can go. And then when 
They are in the car together, the stolen car together. <laughs> they look completely blissed out. With the wind in their hair, they are in their happy place. Of course, once they start talking again, you know, Harley has it bad to take down Superman. She's like that couple, uh, you know, with their map looking for the celebrity, right? She wants she wants her Superman interaction moment. It's, it's just not going to happen, so Thorne will do. Right. Let's go find Thorne. But Poison Ivy wants nothing to do with the other plant lady. She says for her not to waste her time on her. And Harley's like, every every gal has a hobby. Right now, mine is trying to find a soft belly to that hard case. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, I might just be reading this into it. I wonder if it, Poison Ivy is a little jealous. Uh, they, uh, the, a little jealous at the idea of Harley tracking down Thorn. Yeah, or, or Harley's interest in Thorn, another plant lady. I'd feel threatened. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but back at the penthouse, Harley makes a crack about, like, we went out to find stuff for the apartment, and all we got was fertilizer. <laughs> and Poison Ivy is like, hey, I'm going to go get a cat nap on the roof and catch a little sun. Do you want to come? And she's like, no, I don't want to come. I don't like the sun. I'm staying inside. And I feel like both of them are a little disappointed on how their partnership is going at this point. Yeah, they're pretty distant at at, at this moment in time. They're really not meeting each other's needs, which is so important in a relationship. Yes, but at the same time, if we look at the actual love advice that Harley is giving out, she's also using it as an opportunity to set up these little schemes for Poison Ivy and her to uh, take advantage of and to get rich off of. Yeah, somebody called Ratings Rita, is dating some unknown public official. And so she has her set up this big exposing thing. And while that Ratings Rita is exposing that public figure... Harley and Ivy take the opportunity to go raid the safe. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of Harley Quinn's love advice? Like, did you find it uh, successful? Did you find it appropriate? I thought some of it was pretty good. Like, one of the writers, Angel at (laughs) Lex.com, writes in about her crush on Superman and is going like, how can I get Superman's attention? Holly Chance answers, try taking over the world. He'll notice you then. (laughs) Excellent point. Great advice. I really like this one um, from Galactic Bob. Say I meet an alien babe. She can't get pregnant, right? I mean, (laughs) we're different life forms. I love this. And she answers... Bob, Bob, Bob. One, there is no such thing as safe sex with some alien races. Think acid for blood. Think mate then kill. Two, who says she would be the one to get pregnant? (laughs) Three, two words. Andromeda strain. Yeah, yeah, that's. that's I think that's excellent advice. That's all. That's, that's like all pretty Dan, good. Like that's Dan Savage <laughs> level quality sex advice. Perry's not too happy with it though. No, no, and, he's not. And so he comes in in a huff, saying that he can't print this. And Jimmy Olsen sees this as an opportunity to kind of like make good with the cute blonde, and he's like, "Hey, let's go out and blow off the steam." And she's like, "No, I've got to get to work. I'm going to write what he wants me to write." But then some of these letters, I'll just go address in person. Yeah, one-on-one, private sessions. Vigilante, love vigilante Harley Quinn. So her first case is this person who writes in because she believes that her husband is Superman. And her husband has been saying things that she sees as proof that he is Superman. Harley decides to investigate. Investigate. 
because she wants to meet Superman. So if this guy is Superman, she's going to get the jump on him in this moment. So Harley, dressed in her Harley regalia, off hours, bursts through the window of this woman's apartment while her and her husband are home with the sense that, well, if he's Superman, he'll stop my robbery. And so she bursts through the window, pulls the gun. The husband, who's named Gene, does nothing. And it gets to the point where Harley points her gun at the wife and she pulls the trigger. Luckily, it's just confetti. But she's like, faster than a speeding bullet, you are not. Now, Superman could be using his x-ray vision and could have told that it was actually confetti in there. He could have seen that. He could have seen that. So I don't think this is a foolproof uh, Superman finder method, Harley Quinn. But it was good enough for Gene and Franca because the room suddenly gets very, very cold. Yeah, and and Gene gets out of there and the relationship is over. Harley Quinn has failed on two fronts. And on her way out, she was like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to be a robbery. So um, uh, I'm taking your clock. (laughs) I like that bit quite a bit. But what I find fascinating is even though Harley feels that she did a good thing, breaking up a relationship. Unsatisfying. Bums her out. Yeah. She really is sad about it. And who does she go to? She goes to Poison Ivy. She comes home and Ivy is fondling her plants. Harley does what I consider is like a conversation opener. She comes in like, woo, what a night I've had. Ivy doesn't ask any follow-up questions. She was like, interested. you know, like I was, I went out and I did some heists on my own because there was some stuff that I needed. And uh, Harley, she doesn't act disappointed or anything, but she does say that she broke up two lovers and it was the right thing to do. But after tonight, I don't think there's a hurting heart that Metropolis can't help. Famous last words. Turn the page. It's Bizarro. And he's feeling very, very lonely. Yeah. uh, Or not lonely, Lisa. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lisa, but uh, at least you're spared one more issue because the next issue, Bizarre, doesn't feature much in it. It's it's about Harley uh, stealing the jetpack. She has a heist. She wants Poison Ivy to get in on this heist. Ivy doesn't want anything to do with it. But then what happens? Ivy shows up anyway. Yeah, I really love that. There's not a lot of Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn relationship stuff in this episode, but I do find... That one action or or pair of actions, Poison Ivy turning Harley Quinn down, but then later showing up anyway, as very insightful. I started thinking about how you're an extrovert and I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. How like sometimes if you catch me off guard when I'm not like I'm not in the mood to go out and you ask me if I want to go out, my first answer is always going to be no. And it's not like this jetpack heist has been planned for weeks. It literally just randomly came up. Right. Harley was the moment thing. Yeah. So she was literally just, Harley was literally popping in and popping out and going like, Hey, I'm going to go steal a jetpack. You win. And poison Ivy follows that first inclination. I wish we had a little time with her at home to see that mental process of going like, actually, I do miss Harley and I do miss our time together. And if our time together means that I have to go out once in a while, 
then I'll do that. And so when she shows up at the heist, Harley is so over the moon happy to see her friend. And Poison Ivy is over the moon happy to do this for her friend. And I think that that's something you have to do in a relationship sometimes. You have to find joy in your partner's joy, even if it's not necessarily your thing. And as fans of this this pairing, of this coupling, you know, the highlights of this book, of the Harley Quinn solo book, are these moments when Harley and Ivy are in joy together, you know, whether that's in issue 13, fighting the rock guy and the moon lady. I don't know why I can't ever remember their names. Luna uh, and Moon Rock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why, because they're lame. Uh, <laughs> the names are lame. The names are lame. Uh, or, or this moment when, you know, Poison Ivy shows up and she goes and, and Harley goes into bliss mode. You feel happy for them as a couple. It's funny because, like, a lot of couples in comic book universe kind of coast on a will they won't they Mm -hmm. bickering type thing yeah rogan gambit see rogan gambit and they have that a little but mostly they're buds like they might they might kind of hurt each other's feelings like in passing but they're not teasing And, and like you said they do have goals that are different from each other you know poison ivy is an eco warrior and harley uh, is never going to be an eco-warrior, although she'll join up on some schemes to help Poison Ivy's plans. And Poison Ivy will do the same for Harley. I think relationships thrive on having similar but not identical mm, mm, mm. interests. Yes, yes. Where, like, you meet the couple who their Venn diagram of their interests is a circle, and they're going to be competing with each other uh, on their particular all the interests time. all yeah. the time and not being able to express like I've grown tired of you as a person but if you have a Venn diagram where you have no interest that's also not going to work that's also because when are you guys going to hang out what are you going to do the great thing about one of the many great things about Brad and my interests is that our interests are a near circle but not complete. So Brad, so I have by blind spots in Brad's interests and Brad has blind spots in my interests and we can find joy in illuminating those blind spots for each other. Or sometimes we got to go off and do our own thing. Yeah. And neither of us takes it as an insult. Yeah, And that's what's going on here with Harley and Ivy. They have a few, like, I think it would be fun. Maybe we should do this on our Instagram or something, but drawing a Venn diagram of their interests because we've seen they love being in a car together. They love each other's company. They love a tight-fitting, revealing outfit, (laughs) right? But Poison Ivy has her plant thing. Poison Ivy likes to be alone. Poison Ivy is very goal-oriented where... Harley Quinn, she loves people. She needs people time. And she's spur of the moment. She's she she doesn't like being goal oriented very very much. That doesn't interest her as much as just the fun of the crime. And um what was the third thing? The spur of the moment. She's spur of the moment. Oh, okay. I feel like there was another third thing I could parallel, but I've forgotten what it was. That's okay. Let's move on. Okay. I think the point's made. Mm-hmm. Bizarro, Lisa. Ugh. <laughs> So the next issue, or actually this issue ends with 
Harley Quinn successfully stealing the jetpack. Uh, but then the cops show up and they're going to take her in and a big blue and red blur swoops out of the sky and yanks her. And the cops think, hey, Superman's doing his job. A-OK, let's go home, less paperwork for us. But it turns out that red and blue blur is bizarro. So fascinating, fascinating plot line shows up here, Lisa. It's a very strange one because Bizarro is not lonely, meaning he is very lonely. And Bizarro not need a wife, meaning he needs a <laughs> wife, Lisa. <laughs> the double speak is what drives me crazy because linguistically it's inconsistent. <laughs> and it doesn't make sense. And I hate having to translate everything. And I and they do the helpful thing of going like the words that are opposite are in bold. But to me, I'm just like, uh, I just I I think Bizarro is so a annoying. very tricky character to pull off in a really fun way. Do I love this iteration of Bizarro uh, as much as I love how Grant Morrison deals with him in All-Star Superman? No, I do not. I don't think I hate him nearly as much as you do. I do think he's a, an interesting character. And I think that the plot line that he introduces in Harley Quinn could have been brilliant. And I agree with that. And I think it's the inconsistency of what it means to be a Bizarro that undermines how good this plot could really be. Right. So the, the basic gist is Bizarro not lonely, Bizarro need not a wife. I appreciate Bizarro's logic, though, when he, it came to him choosing Harley to be the one to be his imperfect mate mm. because he overheard his worst friend in the world, Jimmy Olsen, <laughs> yeah, yeah. talking to Holly Chance at work and saying what a helpful person she is in curing people's loneliness. And so he begins to track Harley. Yeah, he's a smart cookie. Well, track Holly. Yeah. And then when he sees her at home changing into Harley. He's a little peeping Tom. He goes, oh, she's a bizarro like me. She has a white face. And uh, that I think that's as far as her lo as his logic goes. But I appreciate it. Yes. and But here's the problem when they go to the bizarro making machine. And if they are going to use Harley Quinn as an opposite for bizarro, because bizarro really just wants Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is a perfect bizarro bride. So when the doctor, doctor, is his name Dr. Spangler? No, it's Dr. Chance. Yeah, that's right. It's Dr. Dr. Chance. Chance, who is the no good dirty husband yeah. of the original occupant of the penthouse. Yeah, he's the reason she killed herself. And when uh, Harley brings that up to the, him, he's the coldest guy. Yeah, he's not a good guy. Not and a he's good not guy. even a super villain. He's just a the biggest jerk. Yeah. But Harley Quinn is not really what Bizarro wants. Harley Quinn is someone that Bizarro is settling for because his best friend's Superman and Jimmy Olsen are too busy for him and they're leaving him in the dust all of the time. And when they're finally at LexCorp and Harley thinks, oh, now we have this wife making machine like who's your ideal woman? Who do you want a copy of? He doesn't say Harley Quinn. He says Lois Lane. Yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. Because when uh, Harley Quinn is eventually put into the Bizarro machine at LexCorp, uh, 
the Harley Quinn that pops out, the bizarre Harley Quinn that pops out, doesn't really behave the way you would think a bizarro Harley Quinn would behave, but does kind of behave the way you would think a bizarro Lois Lane would behave and has behaved in those issues in the past where Lois Lane has popped out as a bizarro Lois Lane. Yeah, and so she's like this like crazy housewife who's like, Superman, why don't you stay home and take care of the kids? Yeah, and and that's what that's what Bizarro Harley Quinn is, is she's this like tyrant domestic uh, housewife. Yeah, and I thought the whole attraction was that a Bizarro is the exact opposite. But that isn't even true for Bizarro and Superman. They both can fly. Yeah. They both wear the exact same colors. They're both super strong. Sure, but one is good and one is bad, or at least um, celebrates Chaotic. badness and celebrates chaos. Maybe. Yeah, it's a little funky. It's a little weird. I mean, I agree that the 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 rules of the Bizarroverse, um, they, they flip depending on who's writing the, the Bizarro character. And as a third child who's <laughs> like, why make rules if you're not even going to follow them? It it grates on me it grates on me and i get it and i wanted the bizarro harley quinn to operate like an opposite of harley quinn harley quinn is bad this bizarro harley quinn should be good right and super sweet and super sweet and super structured and structured yeah and and that's not what happens you get this bizarro lois lane character. who uh combusts more or less immediately so it all pretty much amounts to like a punchline wouldn't it have been cool to this have been the start of a new Bizarro Harley Quinn story arc? Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea. We should write that. We should write that. We're never going to write that. We're never going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't fanfic, even though we want to fanfic. Meanwhile, back at the penthouse, Poison Ivy is chilling with her best friend, Thorn. And just as how Bizarro Harley Quinn amounts to nothing and goes up in a puff of smoke, this storyline really doesn't go anywhere either. Right. The story is set up. Harley Quinn... And Poison Ivy are going to tag team this woman. Poison Ivy bringing the torture. Harley Quinn bringing the psychological expertise to disintegrate this woman. Right. And it doesn't end up happening because Harley gets distracted with this whole like working at the Daily Planet and then chilling with Jimmy Olsen all over the place. I keep using the word chilling. It's unlike me. and makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but she's preoccupied. And now they're tr- it's it seems to be like trying to create tension between Thorn and Poison Ivy. But there's just no competition between those two. What you see when he finished the Welcome to Metropolis storyline is that it's actually a story of many distractions, right? The The storyline is Harley and Poison Ivy uh, finding a new home, finding a new place, finding a, 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 uh, a realm to behave with each other as a couple mm-hmm. in, in living together. Right, which uh, is important. Which is important. But then what happens is Thorn pops up, Jimmy pops up, Bizarro pops up. They're all just distractions. The only through line is that they are in a new city. And they're sharing an apartment. Yeah, which is the substance of great sitcoms, right? That's how Friends operates. That's how Seinfeld operates. And Seinfeld was so great about introducing all these random little elements and then tying them all together in like one really nice little bow at the end of the episode. Uh And I was expecting Thorne and Bizarro Harley Quinn and Jimmy Olsen all to come together and be like, whoa, great ending. And that doesn't happen. That is so smart. To me, I think that any of these kind of side misadventures 
could have been fuller if they just did them together. The idea of Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn coming together to just psychologically destroy someone is interesting. The Bizarro thing could be interesting, but having those two stories parallel, I just felt like they were both kind of lackluster. Do you know what I think the ultimate problem of this comic is? Of Not the that we hate is? it. We no, still no, no, enjoy no, no, no. it. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. But the, what I feel is the, the key flaw to this narrative is that it's a Harley Quinn solo comic yeah. book, right? And if this was actually marketed and sold and originated as a Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy comic book, it would be a much more satisfying uh, endeavor, certainly for a podcast called The Comic Book Couples Counseling. Right. There is one moment, though, in issue 19 where Poison Ivy says something that's pretty revealing about why her attraction to Harley Quinn is so complicated. And it's while uh, Harley Quinn is out... Uh, busting chops with Bizarro and Superman, and she has Thorn, but she's in. But Thorn is all tied up, and she just has this moment of communing, communing with her plants. And she had her plants make a new outfit. <laughs> Who doesn't need a, a change of pace? I bought a sweater. She looks good. Terry Dotson, Rachel Dotson, they 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 treat her right. But what about me and my new sweater? I mean, I think you also look very very good. Thank you, thank you. It's my quarantine sweater. Um, it's, it's literally just for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. You uh, don't need a Rachel Dodson to ink that bod. No, I, oh, that is so sweet. You should write that in a card. That's a keeper. <laughs> um, so she says nothing like growing a new outfit to make a girl feel no better than before. Sigh. Why does Harley always run off on some fool's errand when she could stay here with me in paradise? Anyone else? Anyone else would do exactly what I wanted. I'd have them wrapped around my finger. But Harley isn't like anyone else. Well, no use torturing myself. Not when I have another person handy. <sighs> oh, Thorn. So the source, a major source of their conflict and what we keep pointing at as this tremendous red flag is the source of the attraction for Poison Ivy. Yeah, their differences. Uh, th and the fact that she can't get Harley Quinn to do what she wants her to do. Yeah, she's not a weak will. Or a man. Or a man, yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that a redundancy, though? Weak wills and men? I think there is something to the idea of being exhausted, of being able to manipulate everybody or anybody. And we have to remember, conflict is how we grow. The benefit of having a partner, a little two-person unit of a community, is that you have the benefit of somebody else's perspective. Right. So if you just manipulate your partner to have your own perspective, you're, you're at a disadvantage. You're going to just become stagnant. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy make each other want to do better. Mm. And that's why they work or should work. Unfortunately for Poison Ivy, though, she loses her battle with Thorn and gets a potted plant knocked on her noggin. And we end this storyline with Poison Ivy's face down in the dirt of her garden while Thorn escapes. 
Yeah. And uh, the button of the story is Harley Quinn has been bested by Superman and he's about to take her to prison. And she's like, hey, do you mind if I fly to prison on my own jetpack? And Superman is like, sure, because he is way too trusting. Such a chump. Carl Kessel's writing Superman like such a chump. (laughs) And then Jimmy is like, Harley Quinn, why me? Like, why were you picking on me? And she said, you lied to me, Freckles. You lied about love. In my funny book, that's something you just don't do. See, when I said at the beginning of this episode, I said that would come back. It did, it just did, now. It did come back. <laughs> this, that might be the first time I've closed a loop like that on this podcast. <laughs> you know, but but mm, I'm, uh, let you, me finish my go, thought. You go, you go. Jimmy is like, but you lied to Bizarro about <laughs> love. You right. were pretending like you were going to be his mate and stuff. And she's like, teehee, and then pushes him out of the building and then flies away on her jetpack. Well, she pushes Jimmy out of the building so Superman will have to run down obviously, pick Jimmy up, and then she flies away. She escapes, and the jetpack explodes. Looks like Harley Quinn has died. That's the end of the Welcome to Metropolis story. And she she did, and she wakes up in hell. Yeah, ultimately, Welcome to Metropolis is a pretty anticlimactic storyline where the people who came together are separated, but the way that they're separated doesn't feel like a cohesive part of the story. It feels like two separate, like at some point in Welcome to Metropolis, Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy stopped hanging out. You know, yeah. Poison Ivy had Thorn to deal with, Harley Quinn had Bizarro to deal with, and they never met back up again, and it's just so unsatisfying. Especially if what attracted you to the comic was the opportunity to see these two characters together. Sure, sure. And again, maybe we're putting a little too much of what this podcast is on this book. It is a solo Harley Quinn book. But I feel like the way the story started was sold as two girls making it in yet another big city. Yeah, and if you go back to the promise of issue 13, which I'm so glad we read, like that's such a joyous issue where you're like, yes, together, finally, let's go have an adventure. And then that never really blossoms into anything. Yeah. I mean, even if she, like Poison Ivy's story ends with a flower pot, on her head, yeah, yeah. Don't you yeah. think that she would be she ready? She deserves better. Like, hasn't she been enough around enough flower pots to not be surprised by one? Yeah, yeah, she definitely deserved better. She got done dirty. Yeah. That's not to say that I did not enjoy the comic overall. I had a really good time, especially while I was reading it. We definitely loved the characters because yes. that's why we're superimposing our expectations on for them. For sure, for sure. We love them. Now, uh... Please take them in our direction, please. And I had a really good time with Bizarro, where I know you did not. I, I don't know. I, I think that, no, there's just not a situation that, where I would be you, into that. I'm not that. trying to make you love Bizarro. I had a good time with it. Uh, and the real surprise, well, I don't know if it's a real surprise, but I, I also quite enjoyed the weirdness between Jimmy Olsen and Harley Quinn throughout the entire storyline. We didn't really get into so much of the Jimmy and Holly stuff, but I found it to be very funny and entertaining. And I like her, I guess, I guess being a criminal would be the moonlighting. I like Harley Quinn daylighting as a sex advice columnist. I think that was very, very clever. And I appreciate it at the end 
Jimmy Olsen called Harley on her BS. You know, he, he said, hey, uh, you're manipulating and lying about love all the time. And, uh, you know, and I was just trying to get uh, out of a dangerous situation with you and Talia Head. And uh, and she just she was like, no, no, my terms. My terms. <laughs> I, I liked all of that. I really did like all of that. Me and too. of course, Terry and Rachel Dodson's artwork. I really, really enjoyed. Gorgeous. Granted, there's some issues where the fill in artists come in and I, I missed Terry and Rachel. Yeah, but. When they were there, loved it. Now, here's the real question. What kind of advice would King Miller give Harley and Poison Ivy? I think it goes back to listening to your heart, even when it isn't making much sense. Poison Ivy was presented with a predicament. Either she goes to Metropolis with Harley or she stays where she's comfortable, where she has built a home for herself with her plants. She is thriving finally in Gotham. It can't be easy for a plant lady to be in Gotham. Or Harley Quinn is coming back to visit her and putting herself in danger. In that instance, she did something that was uncharacteristic. She chose Harley over the plants and she needs to ask herself why why did she make that choice in that moment and I think that she I think it would be revealing to her I think that she would find herself breaking her own rules and when they first arrived in Metropolis they were so happy and and so joyful and I think that they can get back to that place if they learn to bend their own rules. Hey, plants grow on their own all of the time. Harley, maybe stay in every once in a while. You don't have to do a heist every single night. <laughs> I think that their hearts want to compromise. They just don't know how. Brad, have you learned anything from our discussion of Harley and Ivy that you'd like to apply to our relationship? Uh, after I read the book, I was, you know, I'm always trying to figure out, like, how am I going to answer this question at the end of the podcast? But really through this conversation and, and basically what you just said, taking all that into account, I had this memory pop into my head from 2007 when I drove across the country and I was moving to Los Angeles with my buddy Steve. Mm -hmm. And through the through that journey, through that road trip, uh, our friendship sort of deteriorated and by the time we got to LA actually we didn't even get to LA we got to Las Vegas uh -huh. and by the time we got to Las Vegas Steve said to me look when we get to LA I, I don't want to be your roommate we got to find different places yeah right and I was devastated by uh this and uh we had just started kind of dating before I left and when that was presented to me I was like nope you know what uh, I'm not going to L.A. I'm going to drive my butt all the way back <laughs> to Virginia. And that's what I did. Now, how does that relate to Harley and Ivy? Well, when they committed to going to Metropolis, when they left Gotham, they left together and they moved into the apartment together and they were going to be a union. But the moment they were there, Harley goes off and she gets lost in this bizarro thing. She gets lost in her love column thing. And Poison Ivy becomes consumed with growing a garden in Metropolis starting over. And once that happens, once they get to Metropolis, they're, they, they leave each other and they leave the, the readers. And, and again, that's where the frustration comes from. And so 
you know, commitment is important. Mm -hmm. When you plan on doing something together, you should see it through, or at least you should see it through to the point where if it's going to work or not. Now, am I saying like, Steve, we should have been roomies. We should have figured things out. I mean, clearly no, because the, the friendship had reached its destination at that point. It was just unfortunate that it took a cross country road trip to, to find that area. But Harley and Ivy, if if they enjoy each other, you got to be around each other. I think part of growing up is throwing away your publicized priorities. Like, you know, when you're a kid, people are asking you all the time, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you're like, I'm going to be a Broadway star. And so you take voice lessons and you take piano and all of that stuff. Or Brad, he was going, well, I'm. it's time for me to start my career in film writing. So I'm going to go to L.A. and that's going to be my priority. But when push came to shove, my like my priority was having a happy life, being able to do creative things and not learning how to dance. <laughs> and for Brad, your priority was I'm not going who do I know in LA? No, I mean there was there was the my friendship with Steve had deteriorated and so yes, I wasn't going to have the support in LA like I thought I was going to. But there was also that that cute girl back home and you know, the, the there was so much excitement around this new girl I had met that maybe I did rush into leaving her uh, too quickly. Maybe I should have hung out more with her before uh, I, I left. And it was Steve's decision helped me make my decision that I wanted to explore the possibilities with you. Stop blushing. <laughs> yeah, I backed you into admitting that you chose me over a bright and brilliant and star-studded future. <laughs> no regrets, Lisa. No regrets. So I think that when you are a villain or a hero, you put a lot of stock into your persona. And Harley Quinn's persona is like, hey, I'm wild. I don't make plans. I don't stay in. And Poison Ivy's persona is, I'm not going to do it if it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do it if it doesn't serve the plans, right? I, I, have, I don't do things for fun except for maybe torture people. <laughs> and I think that if they actually looked at their actual priorities, one of their priorities is being together in a fast-moving vehicle, preferably <laughs> one that was stolen. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And, and, you know, you look at the Batman Adventures comics that we read last week, we look at this comic this week, when they are, like, having a blast... I mean, it's such a warm feeling. You love seeing them together. And I know we've said this multiple times, but it's clear to me that they are a great couple and they are a great comic book couple. And it's frustrating that they don't get enough uh, screen time, enough panel time uh, to, ha to have their own book at this point within the publishing uh, continuity, right? It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. But this is a complaint that's not new to comic book romances. And, and we've talked about that when we're discussing Arthur and Mira with the Aquaman comics, right? There are, they are so good together, but rarely were they given the opportunity to have story together, right? They're always being pulled apart or they can't figure out a good plot line for Mira to be with Aquaman. And, and 
Spider-Man and Mary Jane. You like, you really have to find the perfect stories to explore them as a couple. Uh, even though we all know like, Oh, well, MJ and Peter belong together, or at least not according to Joe Casada, but uh, according to the rest of us. But romantic stories about a competent couple are hard to do because conflict is the seed of drama, blah, blah, blah. And that's why you don't see a functioning couple as often as you would like in comic books. Functioning couples have conflict. Like, it's not like Brad and I never hurt each other's feelings and are always having the best time. Uh, you know, we might have hurt each other's feelings in the process of recording this episode. That we did. <laughs> Let's see if you eagle-eared listeners can figure out where, where we were mad was. at each other. <laughs> but we work it out. We worked it out. It's not like every argument in a couple doesn't have to be relationship ending arguments have to happen for growth failure is part of success it's easier to take risks when you know someone unequivocally has your back mm. and if you're if you're in a couple and you feel and you feel like they're going to leave you at any moment you're going to be too scared to grow it's a matter of priorities talking of priorities mm. uh, our first priority is learning what we're reading next week. And then our second priority is ending this podcast because she's getting long. She's getting long, yes. So next week we're returning to the Creator Corner because Lisa and I had a really rad conversation with the legendary comic book artist Stephen R. Bissett about his time working with Alan Moore and John Totalbin on Saga of the Swamp Thing. But I know what you're thinking. You're like, I've read those interviews already. I know how those conversations goes. Guys, they didn't have Lisa with them, right? Those <laughs> interviews did not have Lisa. Lisa is our secret weapon. And Lisa delivers some seriously interesting questions that threw uh, Stephen Bissett off his game. And by the end of the interview, you will hear him say, I have never been asked these questions before. This was a great time. And I melted into the floor. And yes, we're not editing out the compliments. No, we're not editing out the compliments at all. And I hope you guys have gone over to the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast podcast and heard my conversation with Stephen Bissett about his new book on David Cronenberg's The Brood that came out last week. I also had a really good time with that. It's a very interesting subject. It's one genius talking about another genius. Uh, it's a type of conversation that you don't hear too often, uh, but always when when those rare moments occur, when you get to hear Guillermo del Toro talk about why uh, Issa Lopez is the next big thing, you want to pay attention. So when Stephen Bissett talks about David Cronenberg, you want to know why. Go listen to the ItMod Chatcast podcast. Now, getting back to Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, in two weeks, we're jumping 15 years into the future where Harleen Quinzel has ditched the Harley Quinn outfit for a much more casual attire. We're tackling the Harley Quinn road trip special written by Mary Duo, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Amanda Connor. And they're supported by a platoon of artists. Oh boy, get ready. Let's see if I can uh, pronounce all these names properly. Uh, Brett Blevins, got it. Uh, Moratat, mm -hmm. Flavino, Armamentaro, uh, Pasquale, Quilano, and Jed Dougherty. How did I do, Lisa, on those pronunciations? Embarrassing. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> this came out at the tail end of the New 52 era, just before the launch of DC's Rebirth. We are still within 
a Harley Quinn solo title. But this issue follows not just Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, but Catwoman is tagging along, Lisa. Ooh, that's a lot of spandex. The reason we picked this title is because when I tweeted to both Palmiotti and Connor asking what their favorite Harley Ivy story was, Palmiotti tweeted back and he picked this one. So who are we to argue? Nobody. We're nobody to argue. We're nobody to argue. Okay, Lisa, let's hit the road. Let's end this episode. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week? Every week, I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget, you can email the podcast by writing to cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know how we totally screwed up our interpretation of Harley and Ivy. We can take it as long as you're kind. We want your cues. We want to give you our A's. So, yes. Brad. Yeah. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Of course, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CBCC Podcast. And you can commit to us by subscribing to us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, now Stitcher. Oh, yeah. We're, We're on fan- Stitcher. We're so fancy. Basically, you can find us wherever good podcasts are sold or given away for free. But if you're feeling a little guilty about all this free content, feel free to give us a tip at our Kofi account, CBCC Podcast. Yeah, do that. We like money. That would be wild. I want to go bid on that Mike Mignola sketch. Actually, I'd use that money to buy new microphones and new equipment. We, we really need to update the board. Yeah, we do. We need to get one we know how to use. (laughs) And Brad, we're on episode number 42. Yes, we are. Which means that episode number 50... The five zero. ...is just eight episodes away. Well, we're also having creator corners and bonus episodes here and there. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Don't don't talk numbers to me. Okay. I'm I'm not here to do math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 50 is on the horizon. That's right. And one of our very favorite listeners, and now... My personal friend, Max Derrick, is putting together for us a 50th episode best of the comic book couples counseling special episode podcast. We haven't thought of a title yet. What? So if you have any favorite moments from our past several episodes with beautiful couples like Rogue and Remy and Scott and Jean. Swampy and Abby. And the saga couple. Marco Marco and Alana. Alana. That was so long ago. It was. (laughs) Please email those moments with the timestamp to cbccpodcast at gmail.com. And we will forward those to Max. And I can't wait to see what you guys choose. It seems super egotistical of us. I mean, it's just a little podcast, but... 50 episodes. We should celebrate. Yeah, we got to celebrate it. And so, yeah, we're talking to Chris Chaka. We're talking to Apple J. Shara Valentine. Anthony Latch. At Harl Ivy Tweets. You're new. You're here. We're super excited. Let us know what your favorite moments from this episode are. Yes, please. There you go, gang. Super excited to get the next Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy episode in the can. Looking forward to the next one. But until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.